welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. And uh, this is going to be a little bit different for a podcast. I've got uh, a guy that I actually met at the ATA show. His name is Ryan. Is it Fur? Fur? It's actually it's Fewer. Yeah. Oh, Fewer. It was. Yeah, uh, there's a story behind that. Uh, what is it? <laughs> kind of <laughs> cool. So uh, it was originally spelled F U H R E R. So there's a big. Uh, you know, like the whole Hitler type of thing. And my oh, grandfather God. was in World War Two, And after he came back from the war, uh, he couldn't find a job. So one of the first things he did was uh, went and changed the spelling of our name to F-U-R-R-E-R. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. So a lot of people, I still have some cousins that have the original spelling because not everybody in the fam- family changed it. But uh, they, the, we the, go back and forth a little bit. Do they catch shit on it? They do a little bit. It's, you know, big misrepresentation. Fjord in German actually, I think, means leader. Uh, So it's not really a direct direct relation to Hitler, like, uh, but he was the leader at the time. So it's a hell fjord, hell leader. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, a little info there. Um, Well, do you want me to kind of, I guess, lead you in a little bit? Um, I know that you're the the senior regional director um, for the QDMA, which for those of you listening, most everyone's going to know what it means, but for those of you who don't know what it means, it's Quality Deer Management Association. And um, even though the name has deer in it, if you're listening and it's, you know, you're not a, a deer hunter, this podcast isn't going to be all about just deer um, because there's actually some very, very important roles and statistics that the QDMA is seeing that's relative to the hunting community not just uh not just the deer community so um do you want to dive into some of those and kind of lead off with with where some of your 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 major concerns are right now yeah um i mean just a little bit of a a history with the QDMA you know we're this is our 30th year so We've been kind of around the block a little bit when it comes to, you know, white-tailed deer and habitat management. And interestingly enough, probably for the first 25 years, you know, we're really focused on, you know, balanced sex ratios and herd management and habitat. And, you know, we educated a lot of people on everything in between. And about five years ago, you know, we started to see a, a, a trend, and probably all of your listeners have seen this trend, especially on the social media platforms of, you know, uh, uh, age classes of bucks seem to be older. Um, obviously, sex ratios seem to be in a little better balance. Um, every year, we, we look at the statistics uh, of the state agencies that do provide them to us, and we kind of figure them all out, calculate them up, and, you know, I think it was 2015 for the first time across the board um deer hunters in the united states killed more three and a half year old deer than they did year and a half and two and a half so that was kind of groundbreak groundbreaking in the uh in the hunting world you know, at least from a data perspective 
so it happened in 2015 and it's like well you know it could have been a good year this that, or the other and then it happened again in 2016 the percentage of three and a half compared to year and a half and two and a half were greater and then again in 2017 so you know we looked at that and was like wow yeah you know, that's pretty cool um you know guys are killing older deer which you know ultimately you know and when you're talking the bucks they're probably bigger if they're three years older or older um, I'm from Pennsylvania. You know, we, we implemented antler restrictions. I think we were one of the first in the country back in 2002. And uh, in 2001, 90% of our antler harvest were year-and-a-half-old bucks. So that's a pretty interesting statistic, too. 90% deer killed in Pennsylvania. I think it was out of 340,000 bucks. 90% of them were, uh, you know, year-and-a-half-olds. Um, now, you know, it's, it's the other way. So it's kind of like almost for us. Uh oh, you know, now, now what do we do? We kind of, you know, mission completed type deal. We wanted to have, you know, a better age structure. Um, and a little bit of a misconception there was a lot of people I know thought, especially in the early days, that the QDMA was just about, uh, you know, you're, I get till today even, hey, you're the guys that want to, you know, save all the bucks and kill all the does and shoot all the big bucks and your trophy gear managers. And it's really not the, the case at all. I mean, for the most part, we're just about a healthier deer herd. Um, obviously, the, the closer that, that you get that sex ratio in balance, you have a healthier herd, the habitat's better, you know, from A to Z. So it just it leads to better hunting all the way around. So once we accomplish that, again, with the, you know, some of these the data we're receiving from the state agencies, it's like, wow, you know, what do we have to do here? You know, we, we kind of like everybody's on board. If you look at social media, everybody's practicing some form of QDM, uh, whether they know of the organization, you know, there's association behind it or not. Somebody's, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of QDM and it seems though a lot of people are practicing any, you know, one or 10 of those aspects. Um, we started looking at the, the one cornerstone in our, our mission statement was our hunting heritage. And, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania. It's obviously a big hunting state. The heritage, you know, runs strong. We're still, you know, students have off the first day of deer season, which I think is really cool and should be mandatory uh, across the board. But, uh, you know, hunting camps are very prevalent, um, especially when I was younger. I'm, uh, I just turned 41. So when I was a kid, you know, growing up, you know, the first day of gun season came in the Monday after Thanksgiving. So, pretty much from Thanksgiving on, you know, you were, you were looking forward to getting to camp and sharing those experiences, you know, especially as a younger, a younger guy looking up to, uh, you know, all the older guys in camp. It was, you know, I, I, you know, it was like Christmas for me. I couldn't sleep. Um, so we started our, you know, to look at our hunting heritage and <clears throat> every year, or excuse me, every five years since 1955, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service basically does a census on hunting license sales um, throughout the country, and then basically they branch off from there and where, you know, it's, it's a whole plethora of information on, you know, the money that's generated from hunting alone, hunting and fishing. Uh, and this this census just wrapped up in 2016, so it takes them a little while to compile the data. It was released basically in 2017. But for the first time in U.S. history, we had like a 16% decline in hunting license sales across the country. So uh, it's the biggest in U.S. history. We lost somewhere around 2.2 million hunters. Um, that's alarming in and of itself. And then if you start looking at the data a little further, I think some of the interesting topics or points at that data is the average age of the American deer hunter right now or hunter is around 56. 
Um, I've heard a couple different, there's a couple different surveys out there, but it's pretty, pretty much about the same age. And then all research shows that there's a hard stop at 70. Um, I know a lot of listeners would think, well, I know my grandpa hunts, you know, my uncle hunts and he's over 70. And there's a lot of people over 70 at hunt, but the big thing is they don't usually spend a lot of money or they don't hunt as much as they used to. Maybe they don't travel as far as they used to. They're usually uh, on a, some sort of fixed income, you know, whether they're retired or whatever it may be. So it's just not, you know, you're just not doing as much as you used to, simply put. Um, and to follow that up, you know, research shows that with, you know, the, the millennial generation, as the baby boomers are the biggest part of the hunting right now, the millennials just aren't in the pipeline to replace them. So, you know, arguably at this point, you know, it's crazy for me to think, you know, 41 years old and, you know, I have a 10-year-old son, um, the face of hunting can change, you know, in the next 15 years. There's almost like a shelf life. The face of hunting as we know it, you know, not that it would ever go away, but if we continue to lose these numbers, I mean, it doesn't take, you know, rocket scientists to figure out, you know, which way we're heading. So we've really shifted our focus the last two years, I would say, uh, to QDMA, not only us, I'm talking, I mean, NWTF, Ducks Unlimited, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, basically all the NGOs are really, really concerned with getting new people involved in hunting. Um, ourselves, you know, we set a goal last year for their five-year goals is to introduce a million new hunters to the woods. Um, and last year alone, QDMA members and volunteers, we took 160,000. So we we're a little bit short of our 200,000 that we had to meet in our first year. But on the flip side, we introduced 160,000 new people to hunting. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, for a small organization and we are relatively small, we're 60,000 members nationwide with less than 35 full-time employees. So we're not a big organization by any means, but we, we, we carry a pretty, pretty big footprint. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to see, you know, to get behind. I'm really proud of what we're doing, uh, because as with me and probably most of, of your listeners, and I know yourself, uh, hunting's extremely important to, to what we do. Um, and it's just our life. It's been my life since I was, it's really everything I've ever done in my life revolves around hunting with a bow and arrow at you know, some level. Um, so it's just, it's extremely important to get behind that. Uh, a couple of ways we've done it is, uh, you know, we have a youth program, obviously. A lot of people have uh, do a lot of, with the youth, and that's a great avenue to get people involved. The kids are, uh, you know, they're, they're a great target because it's interesting to them, especially with uh, all they have going on right now and hunting being not the norm, you know, maybe that they've grown up, unless they have grown up around it. But, um, you know, they're really looking for that avenue if you just show them and I, I, I read a couple articles on youth, you know, I guess, a few years ago now, maybe even 10. But uh, one of the interesting things that I found was, uh, you know, if you watch a group of kids on a playground or whatever, you know, playground age, say five, six, seven years old, or maybe even younger, um, you know, they play hide and seek. And I, I asked myself one time, I wonder who taught them to play hide and seek. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, I don't really think anybody teaches your kid how to play hide and seek. They just kind of have that instinct in them to take that upon themselves and they do it. And I think that's, that's hunting. You know, it, it wasn't long ago when we were all hunters and gatherers. And you can see that when you watch a group of kids play together, when they, they, you know, eventually, you know, 
morph into playing hide and seek and it's kind of cool because i don't think any parent really has taught their kid how to play hide and seek so it's in them you just kind of have to expose them to the outdoor lifestyle um and it doesn't have to be hunting whitetail deer it can be squirrel hunting it can be fishing you know we we kind of coined the phrase off the couch and outside you know just do something outside hiking uh you know whatever it may be but it, it opens their mind up to a whole new world uh, that maybe they haven't been exposed to. And it's healthy, man. It's good for the family to get outside, get some fresh air, take a break from the uh, the social media and the computers or the iPads or whatever whatever they may be on and you know, flip, flip some rocks over in a creek or something. But uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. The, uh, the, L- um, let me jump in here. Um, sure. I kind of let you go, but I, I've been making notes as we've been going. To, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were rolling. But um, – I kind of want to go back um, <clears throat> back a little bit because um, where so where has that that number of the 2.2 million U.S. hunters that you know the decline the decline of 16 percent in the last five years where is that data coming from so that we know that it's accurate? So it's the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service does it. Are you asking? So basically, it's kind of like from my understanding because there's that question's been asked a lot but uh they basically do a a poll just kind of like they would through the presidential election through um phone surveys yeah and they do it the same way every five years so you know i don't know how many people they they ask the question to but it's allow it's a it's a lot like how a lot of surveys surveys are conducted very specific uh i guess guidelines and then, so it's, it's just like the presidential election uh, polls. They call people, you know, they have a, a, a list of questions, and then they do that, the same demographics every five years, and that's how they pull their numbers. So you, we do get asked, you know, are they are they basically, you know, hand counting every, every hunting license sold in each state? No, that's not the case. Yep. Well, <clears throat> the number is certainly alarming to me but some of the things i guess that i would question and i'm going to play devil's advocate on this um i mean the number the number is staggering to me and and it's important and i'm concerned but i also have a few things that i want to maybe chime in that are just my personal feelings and one is you know i feel like when i look at the the type of hunters that are you know, one, there's a lot more programs and initiatives now that are letting, um, you know, senior citizens not necessarily have to pay the way that they did before for licenses. Um, and I guess, so that's one thing. I wonder if that, if that data is kind of included in there or the fact that, you know, we've also started to have a lot more lifetime hunting licenses. So, the fact that people aren't necessarily buying licenses if they have lifetime licenses, are those kind of being factored in there? I'm curious. But the other thing is I feel like just like really with any, any type of activity, it's hard for me to see that decline because I guess it's one, I'm in the middle of it all. I'm like engulfed in it. So what's tough for me is, understanding that there is that kind of a number when the people and i can hear you breathing pretty hard too by the way um 
<laughs> yeah, everything you're doing while while we're talking, I can hear it pretty good. Um, I'm just wondering if the people that are involved right now, if they're actually more like more involved, even though some of the numbers may be less. Like I know a lot of people that aren't just the five day a year hunters. You know, there's a when I when I lived in Wisconsin, that was the first time that I really had my eyes opened to that hunting type of lifestyle where there's literally you don't hear a lot about deer hunting until literally like the Monday before gun season starts and then all of a sudden the 30 point buck song comes on the radio every single day and then right. you know all the Paps Blue Ribbon signs come up that say welcome hunters and you start seeing all the orange coats and coveralls hanging outside on people's clotheslines and people just kind of go nuts for for that five days of hunting and it's the same here in Iowa for the gun side of things but then all of a sudden those people are kind of tucked back away until their four-day turkey hunting season whereas the people that I'm around a lot they're actually more involved and more engaged in a year-long process of of bow hunting and, you know, heading down and shooting hogs during the off season and then going into turkey season and then, you know, getting into some bow fishing in the summertime. So it's kind of a, it's a little bit tough to, you know, when you look at just the numbers of people buying, I can see that that's in a, you know, I can see that if obviously that number's out there, that there is a decline, but I also feel like the people that are in there are more passionate than they've ever been before too. And I almost find that the people that I know, they're, they're actually hunting and buying gear more than ever because they're, they have more exposure to it. And I just, I actually think that there's a really big movement right now. You talked about the face of hunting and, you know, that, that, that face is changing. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the millennials and, you know, I agree there's definitely, you know, there's a, there's a completely different work ethic there. You know, there's, there's definitely I I don't know. It seems like, it seems like they maybe have their their handout or entitlement a little bit more um than what i'm used to you know i'm used to seeing something going out and and working you know working for it to to try to to try to be able to buy it and pay for it um but in the same sense i feel like the people that are in there are also they're also pretty passionate about um buying new gear there you know people are pretty gadgety people are pretty placebo oriented a lot of people want hacks you know they want the they want the hacks of things whether that's archery you know how to shoot better right away whatever that is but i i think i think there's a pretty fine balance there that um will make that number super scary to us but is there also kind of a yin and yang effect where the people that are in there are also maybe counteracting that a little bit more because there is more passion and there is more ability for people like yourself or the QDMA or even what I'm doing with archery to be able to get more information out there right now. Right. Um, there's a couple, I agree with you, you know, and, and as you said, 
in our worlds, I guess we surround ourselves with people that we have common interests with. So it is hard to believe. And I've, I've had people say this and I've, I've been surprised in the industry, how many people don't realize that with everything we see going on around us, if you look at the needle of hunting license sales, you know, and it's still going kind of the opposite direction than, than the direction we needed to go. Um, it's, be, I think it's because we surround ourselves with like-minded people, and especially with so social media. I mean, you follow what you have an interest in. So obviously people like you and I, or I would call like the super avids, if you will, um, you know, you're watching what they're doing and they're doing what you're doing. And, and yeah, we're involved in, in the romance of hunting more so than the hunting aspect itself. Um, I, I do agree that there's probably a lot more people doing outdoor activities because of social media, but I guess the only issue with that is, you know, we, we all agree that hunting license sales, you know, itself solely drive basic, basically conservation. I shouldn't say solely, but the a, a main part of, conservation is driven by hunting license sales and especially on and then if you look through the Pitt, Pittman robinson act when you know the sale of ammunition and firearms and bow you know that a portion of that money is direct funneled right back into conservation right. whereas when you're looking at outdoor activities hiking camping biking bird watching none of that is taxed so although while you know especially the millennials are out there doing that stuff maybe they're not doing it you know like you and i the super avids you know the, the year-round aspect but they're involved in camping and hiking the the tax of that those items aren't driven back into conservation so yeah and and that's an issue being looked at state agencies are forced to look at you know how do we how do we gain money from that so we can keep doing what we're doing um there's a lot of state agencies out there that have been forced to cut budgets because hunting license sales has declined and that money is, you know, diverted directly back into the state agency itself. So, although I think I agree with you, there are people doing more outdoor activities. There's a movement out there, you know, with the, the local vor type people who, you know, want to source their own protein and grow their own vegetables and do their own outdoor stuff when they never have before. We're still absent that the, the funding from that. So we have to kind of figure out a way to bridge that gap. Um, and that's why I say, the face of hunting as we know it. And I say we, I guess I'm, I'm specifically talking about, you know, myself and my region being Pennsylvania is kind of unique. I know in the South deer seasons come in, you know, a lot sooner than ours. And we basically have an 11 day gun season. And like you say, everything happens in that two week period, you know, it's just like, you know, time almost stops and you just focus on hunting. Um, that's changing because of all the different activities that are out there that people may be involved in year round. Again, the problem being, while we're doing all those other things, we're still losing hunting license sales, and that drives conservation. So, for us to, you know, be the, you know, keep the same pace as we have for, you know, the last 30, 40, 50 years, we have to figure out a way to bridge that gap. Yep. Especially from funding. Do you think the increase in, in license costs is bridging that, is, is also deteriorating that? Because I'll, I'll use... Yeah, um, you know, that's... Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm going to use Iowa as an example. Um, So Mm -hmm. in Iowa, obviously, it's one of the places that's most kind of coveted right now for whitetail hunting. The turkey hunting is phenomenal as well. And and normally, because it's so hard for people to draw deer tags, um, I normally, when, when I have several friends that are wanting to come hunt, 
um, or come, you know, come and hang out for a week, I'll normally encourage them to try to apply for a turkey license. Here in Iowa, for a turkey license, two hundred and fifty bucks. I mean, that's you know, you could buy ten butterball turkeys at the store for that. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm not arguing that our you know our friendship and camaraderie and the fun and can't you know I've, you know you break that into a five day stretch and it's easy to say well is it worth 50 bucks for us to freaking hang out for five days you know 50 bucks a day well okay yeah of course it is but there's also people that aren't that aren't going to pay that there's people that aren't going to pay uh 400 you know close between i forget what it is now but it's just under 500 bucks for an iowa deer license you know deer tag for a non-resident um, which is part of the reason why I moved here was simply because, you know, shell, shelling out 500 bucks to, for Iowa each year as a non-resident and then shelling out 250 bucks or more for Illinois each year and then sending another, you know, 275 bucks down to Kansas and then sending, you know, then if I want to hunt Montana and apply for a combo tag, that's 1200 bucks. You know, it's like next thing you know, between just the ones I've said, I've got, 2500 bucks floating around out there to try to you know to try to draw some tags and obviously you know that's 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 why i don't you know a lot of my habits or lack thereof extracurricular habits you know i don't i don't really outside of going and eating with my wife for you know happy hours one of the reasons why we're such happy hour fanatics is because Every little, every time I order a drink and I saved five dollars, I mean, to me, I think, okay, if I do this, fifty-two weeks a year times five bucks, okay, you know, this is paying for a tag somewhere. Um, so, you know, I think, I think there's so much that's factoring in, um, into that. But likewise, you know, I look at people, the amount of people that are reaching out. And wanting to legitimately hunt or know how to, I feel like the gap and the missing link is letting the new people know exactly how to do it. And that's something that we're not really doing a good job of as a community because I'll use, um, I'm going to use Jocko as an example. Um, Jocko has developed a lot of interest in getting into hunting because of Rogan, obviously. Um, you know, our, our mutual friend, Andy Stumpf, um, just seeing that excitement, he's like, I want to get into this. I want to bow hunt. I want that one-on-one encounter. And he's like, I want to elk hunt. So, you know, I went through the steps of, you know, I've got his bow here, building his bow, going to give him, you know, he wants he wants four or five months of lessons so that he's you know, he makes sure that he's trained well and can make an ethical shot. But then on top of that, you know, he's like, I really want to do elk first. Andy and I invited him on one of our elk hunts together. And he's like, yeah, I want to do that. And we we kind of told him like, you know, you got to put in for this tag. You got to put in for the tag. It's got like a deadline. And then next thing you know, he got busy and the deadline's passed. And he's like, well, I, I need to do that. And it's like, you missed it. Like that, that was it. We're telling you. He's like, well, it's not till September. And it's, you know, some of these people that have never done that, that thing, they don't recognize the protocols of, you know, 
some elk tags aren't just over the counter and buy it. Sometimes you got to put in, you know, how do you fill out these applications? They're kind of, you know, some of it's just not really easy. And honestly, most of the places that I hunt, I hunt the same places every year. Maybe maybe people get bored with the fact that I'm always in Oklahoma or I'm always in Alberta, I'm always in BC or I'm always in Montana. But the reality is I know I can buy Oklahoma over the counter. I know I can go up to BC and, you know, my outfitter handles my tags. Um, in Alberta, same thing. You know, my outfitter up there, uh, Red Willow, handles the tags so I know that I'm legal. I know that I'm not going to be up there and and uh, somehow get the wrong license and get myself in trouble. Um, and, I, I mean, and, and all this stuff is, like, really valid. And when it comes to new people getting in, one of the directions that someone needs to do um, that has the right, I guess, platform to to get the message out there is showing people the exact steps of how easy it is to actually get involved with that. Because unlike, you know, your hide and go seek story, people, people get, you know, they get fines, they get citations for just going out and shooting a squirrel. And they're like, well, wait a minute. I thought I could shoot a squirrel. You know what I mean? Well, Well, no, it's a squirrel season. Let me touch on that a little bit. Yeah. That's a that's a great great point, and basically, and we found this hunting is intimidating, right? If especially is what you're what we would call like a first time adult onset hunter. So uh, let me rewind a little bit. I'll give you some when I was talking about the youth programs. You know the downside to some of the youth programs, uh, and everything has the downside. But one of the downsides is when you take a, a, a youth hunting today, no matter how much interest they have if they want to hunt tomorrow and you're not available you know what do they do you know they're they're forced to sit the bench um they can't take themselves they they don't have a checking account i hate to say it but that's really important you know you have to have money to spend on this sport um so you know we're we're introducing a lot of youth to the outdoors and the hunting hunting type of lifestyle but we're doing that at the risk that they're going to participate you know, in 10 years down the road, whenever they have a job and, you know, out of college or whatever it may be. Um, so let me throw some, a little bit more data at you. They also, there's some surveys out there. They pull the, the non-hunting public. And, and the great thing right now is where we're sitting at around 80% of the non-hunting public is in favor of hunting. So there's, you know, I don't know how many millions of people, you know, make that up, but that tells us there's, a lot of first time adult onset hunters. So we did this program two years ago at our home office in Athens, Georgia. Um, basically our hunting, our hunting heritage program manager, Hank Forrester, he set up a booth at the farmer's market in downtown Athens. Uh, and he cooked venison, right. And he was just giving people free samples of venison. And, you know, they were coming through, you know, some were very turned off by, you know, how dare you type of deal, but there was a lot of them that really liked it. And as I touched on with this local board movement, people want to source their own protein and grow their own vegetables. And, you know, they want to know exactly where their meat came from, you know, as they were trying to venison and food's the gateway, man. I mean, I know you do a lot of cooking. I I follow you on Instagram and I see, you know, you're always working the triggers and, and such food's the gateway. I mean, it brings everybody to the table, no pun intended, but um especially if you do it well 
Well, the first time he set up the booth at the farmer's market, he had eight, eight individuals, you know, after they try the venison, do you like that? You know, then, you know, would you like to learn how to become a hunter? And that's the key. There's a difference between taking somebody hunting and teaching someone how to be a hunter. And that's a whole process. Again, back to that romance. Um, but think of yourself, you know, we're in our 40s. Um, if we weren't in the lifestyle that we're in, if we were sitting in a cubicle somewhere, pick any city throughout the country, and we had that urge that I say that I feel that is inside of us, you know, just because of who we are and who are, you know, generational type stuff. If you want to hunt and you're 40 years old, it's kind of intimidating to go ask your buddy who's a hunter, hey, hey man, we take me hunting this weekend? Like, I don't see too many people, you know, doing that. You know, we're, we're pretty macho when it comes to, you know, the male species type of deal. I mean, maybe some will, but it is a very intimidating thing. So we have to, I think, take it upon ourselves. And we're doing this through programs. We call it our field to fork program. We're, we're trying to, we're basically targeting those mid 40 somethings that are maybe sitting in a cubicle somewhere. And we're trying to teach them to be hunters. And it's been an extremely successful program. Uh, in, in Athens, the first time we did it, we took eight, eight people hunting. We put them through a course, you know, from the classroom to, the legalities to it was we, we shot crossbows uh in georgia and then we went hunting and two of the eight people killed deer the first time and the age range was which i think was interesting we had 19 to i think i believe 64 and the 64 year old he was a, a guy who i want to say i think he was a uh, a maintenance man at, at some sort of factory but regardless this is kind of cool story he uh, always had an interest in hunting. At his job, he had been there for a really long time. There was a small group of guys that went on an annual hunting trip every year together, and they always, you know, were pumped up leading into it. They went on the hunt, and they come back and would share stories and photos and everything. They never thought once to ask him, and he never asked them because it was an intimidating type of atmosphere. You know, he didn't want to intrude. But because he had never hunted before, they assumed he didn't want to. And here, you know, he's walking through the farmer's market in Athens, Georgia, and runs upon a guy that's cooking, you know, deer tenderloin. And then the next thing you know, we're taking him hunting and he killed his first buck. And then uh, since then, he's introduced, uh, I believe, his daughter and two grandsons to hunting on his own. So through that one engagement with that 64-year-old guy, you know, he introduced another three people to hunting. So um, that is the same. I think that is the, the, the answer to, you know, what we're trying to do. Uh, when, and I think as a hunter, I know I took it upon myself and a few other guys I work with, Kip Adams and Matt Ross, uh, we all hunt a lot and, you know, it's like, you know what, Hey, let's seek out that person that we would not think that wants to be a hunter, but let's just ask. And, uh, you know, we have all taken in the last, uh, two years or last season, especially, uh, two or three people a piece, like people that had never, never thought they would be a hunter. Um, but, you know, kind of like intrigued by it and then wanted to learn and, and since then, you know, we've introduced new hunters. So it is, you know, especially whitetail deer hunting, right? Like you moved to Iowa. I mean, you picked up and moved to a state because it's 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 a catch twenty two or a double edged sword, whatever you want to call it. You know, as whitetail deer hunters, especially the super avid, when you get that good spot and you know you get a good tree stand, you're letting you're passing younger bucks. You don't really want anybody intruding on your deal, right? Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of but we need to do those types of things. Um, but with that too, I, I can see the, the good in that is you don't necessarily have to take, when you're introducing a new hunter, you don't have to take them to your spot and your best stand and let them shoot your best bucks. 
um, it would probably work better since we're trying to teach these people to become hunters if they had their own place, right? Or even state land. Every state has state land, and there's no rule that says to be a hunter you have to be successful every time you go out. And then another thing is it doesn't have to be deer. Um, I think deer hunting, especially your first few times, it's a pretty big responsibility to be a, a deer hunter, you know? There's nothing wrong with small game hunting. It, that, it does the same thing. It's, it's a great gateway into to big game hunting. So there's a lot of different aspects to look at that. Um, obviously, a doe on, if you are deer hunting, a doe on your land or private land or even public land, you know, you're teaching these people how to be hunters, uh, how to ask permission. You know, the difference between a rub and a scrape. To you and I, we've known that our whole lives, but some of the experiences I've had, it's been an important topic. Um, you know, safety aspect. We, we, we meet with conservation officers to show them the laws and such. So, I, it's, and it's fun. You can get your family involved. And I tell you, it's, it's a really great way to develop relationships with people, you know, you probably never would have. Uh, it's a, it's a process for sure, but at the end it's extremely rewarding. Yeah, there's no question. I, I mean, I'm certain, I'm certain that, uh, this next year when it comes to animals that I put down, it'll be It'll be the lowest of any other year that I've that I've hunted probably in the last decade. But in saying that, I've also I'll be replacing those animals that I would have shot with people that have never or, that are either new or have never shot archery. Um, and actually, here in a, here in the next week or two, um, there'll be another one. You know, one, I did a bow build this weekend uh, for a new friend. Trevor and Trevor's, you know, really wanting to get into bow hunting. He's from San Diego. Um, did some some skydiving, base jumping. Andy put him through uh, through some stuff. I guess I don't know if I can say, but um, anyway, he's wanting to get into archery. So that's you know, literally, that's going to be my one of my focuses is doing that. And actually, um, where Chad Mendez and I are going for this Turkey World Championship in Kansas. One of the things that we're doing is actually teaming up with some writers from magazines that are really trying to drive this point home, which you touched on, um, which I really like. That When you said food is the gateway, that couldn't be more accurate. Um, one of the people, I believe, that, I believe the person I'm going to be taking out on this turkey hunt is... Um, I think he's one of the writers or the editor for uh, Carnivore magazine, and you know really wants to to kind of do bow hunting more in depth, and then obviously kind of see where my passion is right now with with the cooking process. And this is that is such an important message. That's a very good saying. Food is the gateway, and this this is why. Like, I'm really urging people to support Traeger right now. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, several months ago, I was with some of the, um, people in Traeger, which I, which I really, really like the people. And one of them made a comment to me and he may have even talked about it on a podcast. It was a podcast that we did at the conclusion of the Oklahoma hunt. And it was with, um, me, Andy, Tyler, and Denny. And Denny made the comment to me at one point when we were driving around and looking for a hog, you know, I kind of asked him how he got in with Traeger. And he had told me that he had always 
really wanted to get into the hunting world because you know from a work aspect because that's something he was from Pennsylvania as well I think maybe it's Ohio I don't know I might have screwed that up but he's from somewhere out in the northeast was really passionate about hunting uh was super into it and he he saw the opportunity at Traeger and realized that this, even though it wasn't in the hunting community, this is the one product that actually brings communities together. And he started he started to really see the importance of that product in this category and how it changes the message of the entire, um, you know, pretty much the entire outdoor community and the hunting community. And I couldn't. I couldn't agree with him more. I feel like I feel like when you cook and you prepare something and people see that process and then also they get to to actually eat it and it opens it it literally opens a door. My my um Sharon's family is from England and I can guarantee you that none of them would have ever openly just said I'm going to order elk, I'm going to order antelope, I'm going to order venison. But when they see it and get, they cook it and then they're looking at it and they're like, that looks really good. And then they're almost like, you know, like a kid when they try their very first thing. They kind of have this, this resistance and look of intimidation as it's going towards their mouth. And then they put it in there with this kind of, you know, look like, mm, I'm uncertain I'm going to like this. But then all of a sudden that look changes. And... Then the door opens up of, well, where did you get this from? Or, you know, okay, you know, what made you decide to start hunting? And then it literally allows you to start talking about this message. And this is one thing that, um, that I've actually, that I really want to urge Rogan to get behind for this reason is because, and he does like, believe me, he's, he's, He's opened this door because he shows cooking elk, you know, he's got chickens, makes eggs, cooks elk, you know, he's, he's, he's definitely opened that door. But one of the reasons why I appreciate Traeger so much is because they are the ones that are adamant about making this bridge between the hunting community and the rest of the world, including the world that is very interested right now in gathering their own food and knowing where their own food comes from and this is the segue there 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 could be you know there's there's other products out there that may be similar you know weber grill's been around forever but i'll be danged if i've ever seen them making a movement and supporting the hunting community in a fashion that allows the hunting community to get their message out there the reality is this is the company that's doing it and they're also providing a product that makes what we do better because it doesn't take the moisture out of the product, um, which is pretty much that's it's yeah that's it's key. a necessity for wild game. Right. It's a necessity. So the, the food is the gateway is the key, and and there's there's a couple things um, that I, I want to mention still about that. One is. You know, you talk a lot about um, teaching the groups that are, you know, that age group that's in the 40s to do that. Here's what I found. I found that 
the people, you know, sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I've had a harder time teaching buddies of mine that are my age groups that have always, that have their smoker and they know how to run it and they've screwed up a bunch of pork loins and ribs for five years and now they finally know this exact freaking by the minute process to use one of these pain in the ass smokers to cook ribs or or uh, or a pork loin, or they know exactly how to cook um, their asparagus or their their T-bone steaks or sirloins on a on a gas fired grill, and those people are pretty like they're hard they're hard to convert honestly because it's something new, but when I show Harry's friends what good food is like and they see that they have interest and you know and not to mention some of these traegers they're so much easier to carry around than the you know some of the the other grills that i had when i got my very first apartment or moved into my first house i mean it would be way easier to have one of these little tailgaters fold the legs up and you know you could almost dang near set it out on the on the you know concrete next to your fire and plug it in and you're like running it i mean teaching teaching this younger generation that aspect first i think is really really important and that's one of the reasons why um i'm super excited that traeger's actually allowing me to come out to headquarters to do this school that i'm going to be doing um in july uh, it's unfortunate that the number of people that can come is going to be limited in order of capacity of numbers of grills and obviously space and amount of food that we can have there. But I think it's going to, I think it's going to start a whole new trend and, you know, supporting those companies that are supporting these gateways are critical to the growth and these numbers that we're talking about changing. One last thing I want to say, um, I wrote this down earlier as you were talking. You, you had said that you guys had a, a goal of getting a million new people into the hunting world and that you guys, you said that you did, you got 160,000 is how many you guys ended up taking out. Is that Was that number right? Yes, in uh, 2016. Okay, so 160,000 160, new people. Do you have you taken any surveys to see what the acuity rate is on that? Like how many of them are actually interested in doing it the second time? Um, no, we haven't. Uh, well, let me let me talk and tell you why. So our branches, you know, basically how we uh, we operate, like NWTF or Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain Elk, we have branches or chapters that do those sorts of things. So we oversee it and facilitate it from our end, from the nationals' perspective, but they have we haven't pulled everybody there are some statistics out there as far as retention rate um but we haven't specifically pulled ourselves those 160,000 we kind of leave that up to the branches but um i know that it's growing you know if i, I can tell you that for sure like there's more there's more interest this year than there were there was last year yep yeah of those types of events well, I think that follow. I think the follow up, just like with anything, just like in a work environment, follow up is the key. It's it's a lot like, you know, um, I can show someone how to work out, but then the next day they go in. You know, and I've had this a lot with. I've had it. You know, I've had it with my mom. I've had it with um, 
friends that I've shown to work out, it's like they're fine doing it until they go in and they realize like, wait, how does like how does this machine work? You know, which way do you pull it or how do you adjust the weight? You know, the follow up is key because you have, you know, that reassurance. The same is true. The same is true with the cooking, too. Um, Right. You know, and, and having that open communication and putting yourself out there of, you know, hey, if you have questions on this, you know, give me a call and let me know. And and I think that's one of the reasons why, like, I'll use uh, my buddy Andy as an example because, you know, Andy has direct access to me. So when he went and hunted on his own in Montana, you know, he could easily say, hey, I've been out here. I'm frustrated. You know, I've been kind of moving around. I haven't really seen much. You know, it's noisy or whatever. And I've just said, okay, well, in that case, you know, here's maybe something I would try. I might alter my you know, my tactic, we can't, you can't really move around like we did in Alberta that, you know, preseason things are a little different now. So maybe let's focus on, on this. And, and then he was able to, to, uh, put a whitetail down, uh, out there on his own. So, uh, you know, I think all that, the, the follow-up and keeping that connection accessible is critical when you're teaching someone, um, you know, continual education, I think, is is critical. Um, one thing that you had said in one of the one of the first emails that you sent me, you had you had pretty much um, said that you guys are, had been doing quite a bit of study on the millennials, um, and you said, you know, I guess what you wrote here um, was, you know, they they don't they don't give they don't give back like. Um, like their ancestors had they're more of a what can you do for me crowd um and you were talking about you know how that mentality is kind of changing how successful like our banquets are that we have um you know you might go to like a rocky mountain elk foundation banquet or you know whitetails unlimited banquet um ours are continually selling out you know but i think i think the number of people it's becoming more of a more of a um, social event f- more than a growth event. Um, but one thing I would urge people to do out there is I would really urge people out there who have a little bit extra. I make it a point every year to try to become a life member of an organization that does good for the community of hunting. Um, whether it's, you know, I went to a Rocky Mountain Elk banquet one time, they asked me to come and speak and I said, I can come and speak. Um, and when I went there to their surprise, what I spoke about was the importance of supporting the organization. And I went ahead and wrote a check for a life membership and said, I want to see how many other people would be willing to do this. Um, because each year I budget a certain amount of money to give to organizations that are fighting and also continually educating. I mean, I think it's awesome that you guys have goals of taking 200,000 people a year out and teaching them how to bow hunt, you know, and if, if, if people supporting those organizations allow the organizations to then follow up, I think, I think this whole thing's going to change. Um, the other thing too is, you know, you, you have to realize that, um, a lot of, I think, what the millennials might be looking at some of it just isn't really necessarily in their wheelhouse of interest um you know sometimes i guess when i look at 
it, Harry and his friends, there's certain things that he likes to buy or has interest in that's just a lot different than mine. Um, so yeah, I think us as a hunting community finding out what those new directions are and obviously, obviously maximizing our opportunities with mainstream media like Joe Rogan, who I would say arguably has probably done more for the hunting community than almost any of us have in the last two, two years. Um, you know, and I say us as like organizations, uh, because he's delivering a message, like you said, part of it is food is a gateway. He talks about that he consumes it. Um, then he talks about the necessity of it. And then, you know, he genuinely spurs interest into people that don't know anything about it. Um, so, I mean, all that, those, those building blocks are being put out there. It's really up to all of us, you know, especially my listeners, because I know most of you out here are seasoned people. We are the follow-up. You know, the gate, the gates are being opened, and when you see those opportunities, take advantage of them and do everything that you can to get someone interested, follow up, and dedicate a little bit of your personal time to that aspect because you know, we don't want to see this decline forever. I mean, when I, when you told me and sent me these numbers of 16% decline, 16% decline of numbers, um, that is staggering. You know, we can't, we can't do that. And, you know, obviously if, if the number is true that the average American, uh, hunter is 56 years old and that they, you know, they kind of come to a hard stop at 70. Um, yeah, that's definitely something that, that we need to be concerned with. Um, but I think one super important thing that hasn't been addressed in everything that we've talked about is the type of image that some people within our community and some very passionate people within our community put out there that immediately have a super negative impact on this message that we're trying to do. And I know that the Boone and Crockett Club, whom I'm part of um, and a member of, uh, we're adamant about you know trying to get a message out there called Hunt Right, Hunt Hard. And I don't really think that we're doing a very good job getting the message out there. I think the campaign is needed and phenomenal. But I also think that there's there's a separation, and I'm seeing this, a separation between a typical way of delivering a message out there versus what the way is now. Um, and, you know, I can see this on my own just you know, for my social media this morning, normally once a week, I like to give people homework. I like to pe- give people a teaching lesson. And, you know, I posted, uh, I'm just looking here less than two hours ago, I posted the daily, this week's homework. And, you know, there's that thing's been seen by over 2000 people already. Um, you know, these are the types of things that we really have to take advantage of is when you have the ability to put a message out in front of people, make sure it's a positive one because, you know, saying something that's 
clickbait or saying something that, you know, posting a picture of, you know, blood oozing out of your animal's face off the back of your tailgate or, you know, having um, the one that always gets me every year. I get so pissed off when I see this this picture go around. But have you seen the one that has like all the frozen deer where they've been hanging upside down for, you know, obviously on a on a meat pole, which is fine. Um, you know, hanging upside down on a meat pole where it was cold, they all froze in like the spread eagle position and someone like lines them all up on the ground like and then puts Santa's sleigh behind them. I mean, yeah. You know, it's like stuff like that that humor stops i mean it literally hits a dead stop at the at the end of your viewers numbers if you've got a 500 people following you i can be rest assured it stops at 500 unless it circulates out there as a negative message it's going to hunt the community but it's just one of those things where we have to we have to become better than that and you know, if you want to make an impressive photo, and I'll tell you what impresses me right now, I can I can go on Instagram and I can go to tags and type in knock to fork. There's almost 2,600 posts that are knock to fork, and the amount of people out there um, that have these amazing photos of the food that they're cooking now, those messages are going to, you know, like you said, it's the gateway. Those messages are going to get people interested into knowing what hunting's all about and why it's so good. So, you know, hats off to all of you out there that are doing that. That's, that's freaking spectacular. And the message that we need to get. Well, one of the touch on it, and that's why, you know, we're careful to say, that the face of hunting is changing and we touched on it with the millennials. It's not that they're not interested. They're just interested in different ways than you or I, or maybe our uncles and grandfathers were, you know, the big deer camps and, you know, it was a very macho thing. And like you say, the buck on the hood of the truck or, you know, type of deal, but it, it is changing. And I agree a hundred percent. And that's literally why I tracked you down at the ATA. I'd been a listener and you know the show and also joe rogan's and you know i follow cam haynes and and andy stump and you guys have the platforms and you have you it's know, stump you, you have stump the, he's going stump. by stump <laughs> stump now is what he's going by <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding but no. yeah, i got you yeah <laughs> but uh you guys have you know it's it's a direct avenue to touch you know a lot of people in a positive way and, and that's what I was just trying to bring attention to. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, from, from Traeger, you know, being, you know, they're bridging that gap. Nobody's really done that before. Um, you made a really good point on it's not just to prepare a wild game, but to prepare it well. Uh, one of the things, you know, we did was we bring a butcher in. And my brother-in-law is, is actually a five-star chef and a hunter. And, uh, I mean, he's opened up a lot of people's worlds to a way to cook wild game, all wild game. I mean, we've had it all, man. And I mean, the table fare, you know, we have eaten, you would, you would think that you were in a, a five-star restaurant somewhere. So one of the challenges, you know, I like to tell my friends or my little hunting circle, what we need to do is we, we used to be big proponents of being stewards of the land and we still need to do that, but also be stewards of our hunting heritage. And 
as food is the gateway you know we have cookouts throughout the summer uh i'm a big golf fan so you know we'll we'll have uh we'll have some barbecue next next weekend for the masters but i always make it a point to do wild game and then i always seek out friends of mine or acquaintances that i know would have never eaten it and that food you know again brings them to the table and allows that discussion to generate of what it is to be a hunter and why it's important and why it's not it's not really important if your deer was five and a half or two and a half it doesn't matter man we're all fighting the same fight and doing it for the right reasons i hope and it's about our hunting heritage i mean there's a lot to be learned from it so you made some really good points there and i just wanted to make a point to or take the opportunity to to touch on that that i think that what you guys are doing with your platforms is exactly what needs to be done what what uh where should people go to kind of listen a lot more or see some more about qdma obviously you've got a website um is there other avenues that you feel like are good avenues um for people to kind of see this message or get more involved with this message i'm actually um pleasantly surprised to hear about um what you guys are are doing in the direction because so many of the QDMA people that I know uh, around this area, they're pretty dang passionate just about the trophy aspect side, which I'm actually, I would be a bad representation of QDMA because I actually am not one of these persons where, you know, I can't, I'm not to the point where I don't shoot a, a three or four year old deer. Um, you know, I, I try to, I try to manage what I can. Um, I try to, you know, I try my best to only shoot the maturest of all of them, but in the same sense, um, I also don't have as much time as people think to be out there. And I also have very limited property size. So I just don't feel like I have the ability to, to deer manage like, or age manage like say you know lee and tiff or um you know the lakoskis are close to me or i'm sorry the lakoskis um the kiskis are close to me winky's close and you know and bill even kind of says the same thing even on his side of things he says you know even though he has a thousand acres now he's like i feel like that's probably still not enough to totally uh be able to have control on what's going on so well and that's the been our black eye for 25 years and honestly one of our our first rules before we would implement say any any policy or advocacy for state agencies the number one thing we we always make sure it has like if, if there's a new bill or a new law that's being proposed is that it's hunter satisfaction so the hunters have to be in support of it and we are, and I've always said this myself personally, who are we to tell anybody what deer they should or shouldn't shoot? Just like you say, when you're when you're strapped for time or limited with access, whatever it may be, man, we want you out there enjoying it and having fun. It does not matter at all. Um, so, you know, I, I hate to hear that, but I hear it all the time because I think it's a big misconception of, of the QDMA, you know, what people think we are. That As you said, you know, they're big trophy deer hunters. There are some people... There are a lot of people that manage their ground for an older age class and obviously bigger deer, but I think that's probably more due to the romance of being land stewards. I mean, I love every aspect of it, 
you know, of the, the whole process as much as I do, or even more than the actual killing or harvesting a five-year-old buck. Um, it, it's just that there's something about, you know, manipulating a landscape, if you will. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to tell me, hey, I'm not going to be a hunter because the way you guys are doing it is, you know, I don't have the time or the property, then I'd be like, well, look, let's change the way we're doing it because I want you to be a hunter. You know, I mean, and, and I, I'm, I definitely want to get that message out there more. You know, um, I get exactly what you're saying. We're, we're, there's, there's, we're in no position at this point to be choosing upside, uh, you know, on how or what we hunt with, honestly. Yeah. Man. I, and you guys are smart. You're smart by recognizing that there's that for just as much people that there are focusing on the, you know, the, the antler management, um, there's just as much people now, I think, focusing on the management of the entire archery community and making sure that we're actually growing to a quality hunter, hunter's management. Um, that's what I want. I want quality hunters that are representing our community as best as possible, providing a great image, showing the maturity, and maximizing you know the overall health of the community. That's what I want. Um, right. you know, so hopefully all this, all this synergy is going to, is going to go the right direction. Yeah. And let me just say, you ask where somebody can go. I mean, obviously we have around 200 QDMA branches throughout the country. So, I mean, if you want to be involved on that level, that would be great. And we'd love to have you. So seek out your nearest QDMA branch. You can get on our website and look for that, but probably more importantly, you know, just if you're a hunter, if you're a deer hunter, as I assume most of your listeners are, think about who you can take or if you're willing to take somebody and introduce them to, you know, the lifestyle that you live yourself. Um, you know, find that person, who, whoever it may be. Maybe you work with them. Maybe it's an aunt or an uncle or a neighbor, whatever it may be. But just take it upon yourself. And, you know, we're at 10 million deer hunters. And, and this is, say, in the next five years, a third of those deer hunters took it upon themselves to introduce just one person hunting look what that does to how it changes the game. Right. I mean, and, and that's what we need to do more of. And, and I'm sure we'll get there. I'm not the doom and gloom guy. I don't want to say, Oh my God, you know, the, the sky's falling type of deal and hunting's going to change. We're not, I, I, again, the face of it is changing. You know, we're evolving as a hunting community, if you will. Uh, it's just a little bit different now, but I think with, what you're doing and as we talk about those platforms i think we're going to get and where we need to be with positive and i like what you say like we need to we need to be respectful and mindful of what we're posting with social media being such a, a huge presence right now just think about what you're doing a little bit and also you know as you mentioned the boone and crockett club think about supporting those types of organizations um, you know, just it's, you know, I don't know what their membership costs. It's probably 30 or $35 a year. Um, but, you know, get, reach out to an organization and support them. All the NGOs are out there fighting the same fight. Ducks Unlimited, Boone and Crockett, Rocky Mountain Elk, you know, QDMA, NWTF. Uh, we're all out there fighting the same type of fight and we need your support. So, like I said in the email with the millennials, they give back a different way. Um, you know, we're finding that they're not set on going to a banquet and, and bidding on a print, but there may be another way for them to give back. And it may be through a pint night or hanging out with their buddies or whatever. And like, Hey, and let's all do this because they're doing it for the right reasons. 
Um, so yep. just be, I think, be aware of what's going on around you. Yeah, and actually, um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, um, I actually took kind of what I set aside that I normally give towards memberships. And what I did was I actually, um, I actually bought 20 of my, 20 of my friends memberships to the Boone and Crockett club, um, and just sent it to them. And that way it kind of allowed them to see like, you know, what some of these messages and some of the importance of conversation or conservation, um, you know, what those are. And, you know, I've actually got to the point where, um, you know, I almost don't necessarily like the like how I'm categorized. I went through this before when people would introduce me as, you know, hey, this is John Dudley. He's got a TV show. Like I, I really got to the point where I don't introduce me as as a hunting TV show person because there's people within that category that. I'm not really wanting to be associated with like there's some terrible shows out there and some ter- terrible messages and terrible shots that the community is not policing because the fact is they're just buying airtime and they need to sell it. So, well, unfortunately, and I heard you say, and I don't want to interrupt you, but I, it'll, it'll probably make the light bulb go up. But I heard you say right after the ATA show on your, your follow-up podcast that, you know, and you're careful to say it, and I am too, but it, unfortunately, in the quote-unquote industry, there are a lot of takers. Um, and it, it's just, you know, it, it kind of becomes a sideshow a little bit of what's going on out there. And But I think I think that that's in every industry, you know, and we have to just work through that and know that there's enough, you know, the messages that we're creating. The, the positive messages, I think, have a bigger impact. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, well... You know, Traeger actually, um, they're doing a, a very big um, advertising campaign that I was fortunate to be part of. And they said, you know, there's going to be a lot of non-hunters. Um, they're doing a big, a big, a big kind of, I think, campaign towards the sports arena. And I was glad that they actually let me come into this commercial showing the the hunting side of thing or you know the wild game side of things so they asked me you know how do you how do you want us to have your title for your name you know do you want to have john dudley professional archer do you want you know you know john dudley professional hunter and i said i, I would really like it to just say professional outdoorsman because there's more to what i do than just hunting you know there's more to what all of we do you know, all of us are doing more. We're not just hunters, you know, just telling people you're a hunter, you're, you know, you're kind of just, you're limiting your dimension. I really feel like, you know, we, we as a community now are one, we're training like for better than ever, for sure in history, there's more archers and bow hunters training and practicing more than they ever have. And then, they're passionate about the hunt. Most of them, there's a huge movement, people that are passionate about fair chase and, you know, public style hunting or, you know, definitely not high fence situation style hunting. Uh, there's a huge movement that way within our community. And then obviously there's a huge movement right now of people showing where that food is going and it's going on a plate in front of the family. And I think those all those categories lead into us being professional outdoorsmen. And I think that's when you're, when you're, 
when you're an outdoorsman, I think, um, or an outdoors woman, you're, you're, you really don't have near the target on you as well. Um, and you're going to have a lot more, um, you're going to have a lot more professional conversations with non hunters too, when they're looking at you from that aspect versus looking at you from a killing aspect. So I think all this is super good. And, uh, I got a, I got to get after it, man. I got my workouts calling me. So um, I don't want to cut you short, <laughs> but we kind of jumped on this uh, a little bit last minute. And uh, if I don't go now, then I'm going to end up uh, having to go at midnight. And I don't want to do that. So this podcast was awesome, dude. Um, really appreciate it. And we need to do it again. Like for sure need no, to uh, get some more get some more information and ammunition. And as you come across things – that I think are important for our whole community to hear, uh, definitely let me know because I'll give you the platform, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks for everything you guys are doing out there. Thanks, Ryan. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.